Hello, listeners! Welcome back to the Veris Nuncious, your go-to podcast for real discussions on the social sciences. Staying on this month's theme of Filipino-American History Month, we will be discussing Filipino-American relations as well as domestic politics, specifically highlighting the upcoming elections. I'm Alexa, a junior at ISM, and I will be your host for this episode. I am joined here with... David, and I'm a junior. And Erich, and I'm a sophomore. Awesome. So before we get started, I would like David to give us a quick outline on the Filipino government and political system. Sure thing. So the Philippines was governed under three constitutions. The first was promulgated in 1935 during the period of U.S. administration. It was closely modeled on the U.S. Constitution, which included provisions for a bicameral legislative branch, an executive branch headed by a president, and an independent judiciary. During martial law, it was abolished by former President Ferdinand Marcos, which was replaced by a new document, adopted in January 1935, that changed the Philippine government from a U.S.-style presidential system to a parliamentary form. The second uh, dictated that the president became head of state and executive power was vested in a prime minister and cabinet. President Marcos, however, also served as prime minister from 1978 to 1981 and ruled by decree. The constitution replaced the formal bicameral legislature with a unicameral body and gave the president even more powers, including the ability to dissolve the legislature and, from 1981, to appoint a prime minister from among members of the legislature. The third was after the downfall of the Marcus dictatorship in 1986. A new constitution similar to the 1935 document was drafted and ratified in a popular referendum held in February of 1987. It was returned to a bicameral legislature called the Congress of the Philippines, consisting of a House of Representatives with about 290 members and a much smaller Senate, some two dozen members. House members are elected from districts and can serve no more than three consecutive three-year terms. Senators, elected at large, can serve a maximum of two six-year terms. Okay, thank you, David, for that. Next, we'll have Erich talking about some current Filipino-American diplomatic relations. Um, so the U.S. and Philippines formed diplomatic relationships in 1946. The U.S. has provided over $143 million to help Filipinos after Typhoon Yolanda. The U.S. has also provided over $60 million to support ongoing humanitarian efforts in response to Marawi siege. Over $27 billion in goods and services have been traded in things like semiconductor devices and computer peripherals, automobile parts, electric machinery, textiles and garments, wheat and animal feeds, coconut oil and information technology, and or business process outserving business process outsourcing services from the Philippines and agriculture goods, machinery, cereals, raw and semi-processed materials for the manufacture of semiconductors, electronics and transport equipment from the U.S. A bilateral trade and investment framework agreement was signed in 1989 and a tax treaty there are over 600 members in the Philippines chapter of the American Chamber of Commerce which has natural reach which has national reach both in ASEAN APEC, IMF, World Bank, and WTO. 1998 Visiting Forces Agreement, VFA, makes it easier for U.S. forces and ships to operate in Philippines. Duterte almost terminated the agreement, but later on retracted the termination letter. Duterte started drifting away from U.S. to partner with China, but later on, towards the end of his term, he started going back to ties with the U.S. 
China and U.S. are not on good terms, and so this put the Philippines in a tough position. U.S. and the Philippines engage in about 300 activities each year military-wise. And on a more current topic, COVID-19 vaccines. About 3 million Moderna shots of COVID-19 vaccines have been donated to the Philippines by the U.S. I think the history uh, between the U.S. and the Philippines is rocky. Um, First and foremost, they were once a colonial power that ruled the Philippines. And so, as with most colonial powers, they weren't exactly very nice to their um, colonies, right? But currently, I think the U.S., especially with the shift of focus to this region in the world, uh, given the blunder that was the Middle Eastern campaigns and, let's just say, interventions, um, the U.S. is definitely trying to keep its allies close, given the rise of China, given the rise of um, a, a, an increasingly autocratic um, grip that the Chinese government has, especially in modern in the modern day, when it comes to information such as the internet, and uh, politi- and political discourse online, uh, the U.S. is definitely trying to maintain a presence in this region, and it I have a feeling that it's kind of in a proxy sort of way. For example, if the U.S. can't exactly just fight China or call them out for anything and everything that doesn't align with their values. Because the U.S. and China are ultimately still in an economic partnership. And so what ends up happening is the political, um, the political climate of the Philippines ends up being a sort of proxy war, wherein politicians would eventually have to deal with the question of pro-China against China or pro-U.S. against U.S. For example, uh, Rodrigo Duterte used uh, a similar contention in his 2016 candidacy when he famously said that he will go out to an island plant a flag there, and stand his ground against a Chinese Navy ship. This, however, has not happened since. Given the um, tight partnership between the U.S. and the Philippines, especially um, when it comes to aid, uh, I think that the U.S. and the Philippines will still continue to have the partnership, albeit strained given um, recent uh, exchanges with Washington and Malacanang. I think um, transitioning on to the next topic of presidential elections, I think it's interesting to see how the next president may cope with the entire feud between the U.S. and the um, and China and how political the Philippines' political alliance will shift or how it will remain the same. I'm very curious as to see how future governments of the Philippines will display their sympathies towards the United States or to China. Uh, given the rise of China, it's definitely led rise to a new bipolar area reminiscent of the proxy wars during the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Although a little bit different, it does show how the Philippines has become a battleground between the United States and China. This has gone similarly with other U.S. allies, for example, Taiwan and Generally, this can be seen with many case studies, for example, the South China Sea conflict, which we, dis- we discussed in a previous episode, but it shows how, although the United States has not ratified the UN's YLOS, they are in a bit of a sticky position to determine whether they want to express their sympathies and direct aid towards China or the Philippines, because as a democracy, they would oppose the Chinese authoritarian regime and their growing power. However, they are heavily reliant on them for intergovernmental relations and trade. 
Oh yeah, and to add on, it's not like the Philippines can stand on its own either. It's not like it's in a position to bargain as much, especially given its reliance on both trade and aid, um, whether that be in the face of natural disasters or infrastructure, or in this case, most recently, the COVID pandemic. The Philippines is definitely in a state where it needs their help. It's just that the geopolitical tensions between two of its closest um, economic partners and, and, and in the case of China, regional uh, neighbor, um, put it in a tough position itself because if it caters to one too much, it may lose the support and aid of the other, which would be devastating, um, whether that be losing aid from the U.S. or losing aid from China. Yeah, I definitely think that's very applicable to so many countries worldwide, as well as intergovernmental organizations. For example, the United Nations, they would want to recognize Taiwan. However, due to threats from Beijing and also Beijing's threats towards uh, multinational corporations or countries like the Philippines' threats towards cutting off trade and severing ties, it has resulted in more neutrality in terms of democratic versus authoritarian sympathies between the United States and Chinese power. Okay, if we are good to go, we will be moving on to a discussion on the Philippine elections. So to get started, generally a diverse field of candidates have put up their hands to succeed Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte, who is stepping down after a single six-year term in line with the Philippines' constitution. Although the 2022 presidential election campaign is yet to begin, the machinations and drama are well underway, as I think has been very prominent throughout the media. Rodrigo Duterte has announced that he will be retiring from politics and will not be running for vice president as he had originally hoped. The Philippine election season is typically a loud, noisy, and violent seven months of campaigning to decide major government positions, including the presidential seat. The general election will take place on May 9, 2022. In the presidential running, notable candidates include Ferdinand Marcos Jr., Ronald Bato de la Rosa, Manny Pacman Pacquiao, Lenny Robredo, Isco Moreno, Ping Lacson, Leody de Guzman, sorry, my pronunciation is so bad, Ernesto Bella, and Norberto Gonzalez. For vice president positions, notable candidates include Bongo, the running mate of de la Rosa, Lito Atienza, the running mate of Pacquiao, Francis Bangilinan, the running mate of Robredo, Willie Ong, the running mate of Moreno, Tito Soto, the running mate of Lacson, and Walden Bello, the running mate of Guzman. Independent candidates may not be substituted. However, substitutions are still open to official candidates of parties. In order to substitute, candidates must belong to the same political party. Parties have until November 15 to finalize their decisions, so the political candidates for the president may change until November 15, so make sure to keep up to date and uh, based on when you are listening to this podcast. So let's open to the floor so, to some discussions regarding the Philippine elections, because I know there is a lot of contention, to say the least. There's been, um, there's news of recently how there's kind of been a lot of a large turn up in Filipino in Filipino voters they've shown a keen interest in choosing who's succeeding Duterte 
And it's even led to a point that the Election Commission extended the deadline for voter registration from September 30th to October 30th. I think that stems from the hardline stance that the Terte has had for six years, or tried to have in six years. Uh, I'd argue that for most of it, he was doing not much, and for the other half of it, he was doing the hardline stance. Given that, um, there are now many Filipinos, those who were not represented in the voting block back in 2016, who are now trying to register to vote. Um, that's because the third one actually wasn't that representative of the Philippines in the sense that not, not like a majority of the population didn't really vote. So his win, while constitutionally the correct, um, didn't wouldn't necessarily represent the views and ideals of most Filipinos. And I think the surge in voter registration is the common Filipinos' attempt to regain back that agency and to be able to keep the keep true to the spirit of elections that being to represent the um general will of the population that the elections are for i feel that it's quite ironic this is very reminiscent of how filipino politics generally run it's under the watchful eye of the international community and you know all of the major news sources are pretty much Discussing it in the same way, NPR sees it. A boxing legend, a former screen actor, a scion of one of the country's most powerful dynasties. The May 2022 elections to succeed outgoing Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte promises to be a spectacle studded with star power. And in general, that's just how Philippine elections, how Philippine politics works. It's dominated by political dynasties and celebrities regardless of not sometimes, oftentimes regardless of policy and the wants of the people. However, although I am encouraged by the high voter turnout so far uh, by the Philippines, um, I think as like younger voters are coming of age, there can definitely be a larger shift in the, uh, in the results of these elections. However, uh, I don't know, I'm just excited and nervous to see how it all turns out. You also um, mentioned, well, sorry, you also mentioned something interesting, uh, specifically the wants of the people. That's a thing. I think Philippine elections are both unique and absolutely broken in the sense that more of it is show than it is politics. For example, the, the slates aren't even finalized yet and there are already songs for campaigning <laughs> for Isco Moreno and uh, as far as I know, Bongo, along with uh, songs to try to encourage Sara Duterte, the daughter of Rodrigo Duterte, to take the place of Bato de la Rosa in the running list and to run for president herself. Where in the world does this happen? Like, who just makes an original soundtrack for your year's election, you know? So, in a way, the fact that this works, the fact that this is the go-to status quo strategy for any um, for any candidate, regardless of whether they're serious about politics and they do have plans, or they are literally the celebrity, <coughs> Soto. <coughs> Given that, I, I find it odd to think that this isn't the will of the Filipina in some sense. It may be ironic, it may be stupid, but it works. 
you know, if it wasn't the will of the Filipino, then it shouldn't work so well. It shouldn't be as effective as it is. And it shouldn't be done even before policies have been pitched by the candidates. There are songs before government policies. What? <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think, in a, in a way, the performative aspect, the, the pizzazz, the spectacle that is the campaign trail, does reflect the intention of the Filipino. It's that the, the majority aren't there for the politics. The, the, the prevalence of vote buying. The short, the, the general trend wherein short-term gains outweigh long-term benefits, you know, vote buying, wherein you, you essentially sell your vote for, like, what, 50 pesos, 100 pesos? That is, the future of the, the country lies on your 50 pesos worth of a vote. So even a vote isn't worth that much. That's what, a hamburger from Jollibee? So... This, these trends, these uh, practices are unique and utterly broken. That is specific and so originally Filipino. Yeah, it's sad to say that we consider this normal and sometimes even rational. Just Filipino politics are so characterized by corruption. It's literally a circus performance and we lack proper representation of the will of the people we lack populism and the past administrations have been anocratic to say the least but i definitely think there has to be a shift but it's just all so ingrained in filipino society and filipino ways of engaging with politics it's it's funny it's amusing and i have no idea what to do about it. I guess to close off my portion on the on the commentary, I unironically think Joker's line, we live in a society, is wholeheartedly appropriate to the elections. Um, coming into it from the mess that was the six-year period of the current administration, uh, as of now, there is a lot of tension in what, is ha- in what is to happen moving forward. And I guess it is a make or break situation. Um, and a wake up call to those who did not vote, to those who did not um, pay too much attention to politics. It's a, it's a wake up call to be more involved in the decision making process, no matter how wacky, weird, and downright broken it may be. Yeah, honestly, that's just a great note to leave off on. I think all of our listeners, we'd highly encourage you to engage with your community to do research on whatever country it is, on your political candidates and what's going on in the government of your country and of the international community. Because as citizens, it's vital that we stay informed and eventually we're going to be able to participate in these activities. Eventually we will be able to vote and each one of those votes will count towards something that could make or break the peace of our country and of the world so it's definitely vital and we would highly encourage all of you to stay up to date to stay informed with the correct accurate information on your actions and just identify biases around you and look for the facts um, just to end it on a note related to the presidential um, 
candidate um, run again. A recent poll by Pulsation September found the order of popularity to be Duterte Carpio, followed by Marcos, followed by Moreno, followed by Pacquiao, but then again, it's still another seven months, so this may still be prone to change, subject to change, and given the lack of, it's hasn't, it still hasn't been finalized, so there may still be things that may shift from here, but so far this is kind of what the population ranking is. With that, I feel that this is a great conclusion for this month's Filipino-American history theme. Over these past four episodes, from the South China Sea outline, to the hot topics, to the Fonz history, to the Filipino-American politics, we hope that you've all learned something new or developed your understanding of social issues pertaining to Filipino-Americanism. Just for some shout-outs, if you are interested in some of the issues discussed in this month's episodes, I would highly recommend you check out podcasts on Spotify. Podcasts spelled P-O-D-K-A-S envisions the mainstreaming of critical discussions on Philippine history, politics, and society to broader audiences using new media, accessible language, and relatable content. It is one of my favorite podcasts, and I would highly recommend that you all check it out. In addition, the caption of this episode will include some links to some resources that were a huge help in the making of these past few segments. If you want to gain some more insight and knowledge from these primary sources, we would highly recommend that you check them out. And finally, for the last time this month, a huge thank you to our listeners from the Barris Nenches family. We will see you all next month. Stay informed.